0: The reality is suffering and pain trials heartache hardship those things are inevitable every one of us the longer we live we are going to experience suffering so the question is uh, what do we do with that how do we live in such a way that we almost transform our suffering how do we live in such a way that we take our suffering, we embrace our suffering, and it makes us to be better human beings? How does our suffering become hope? So I've got this, this kind of mantra that an encouraging word, a hopeful word, a kind word, cost as much um, as a negative word or a bad word. So I try, to, I try to promote hope and promote encouragement wherever I go. As a matter of fact, on my voicemail, like if you call me, um, I typically don't answer if I don't know the number, and I'll send you the voicemail, and on that voicemail is a message of hope. It's an encouragement. A few years back, I was having a pizza delivered uh, to my house, and the pizza delivery driver was trying to find my home, couldn't find my home. So she had called my voicemail. I didn't know. Um... She got my voicemail, but eventually she found my home, uh, delivered the pizza, and when I opened the pizza box, taped to the to the inside of the pizza box was a note that said, hey, um, I was thinking about killing myself tonight until I heard that message of hope. So I'm going to check out um, what you said. When I think about... When I think about her story and I just think about how, how easy it is to, to encourage somebody, um, I think a lot about men. <laughs> uh, statistics tell us that, that men struggle uh, emotionally. Uh, we're struggling with mental health. Right now, uh, men are 4Xing suicide more than anyone else. Uh, men are leading in categories of depression, alcoholism, drug abuse, all all unhealthy systems and unhealthy processes that, that tie back to, to mental and emotional health. And then, and then I think about the, the thousands of men that are watching this right now and, and the season that we're in. I mean, it's the holiday season, right? We're coming up on Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and New Year. And, and again, statistics tell us that during the holidays, anxiety spikes, um, worry and fear. These things run Run rampant. So, so I'm sitting here thinking, man, what, what can we do about that? Like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of men struggling with um, fear and doubt, um, loneliness, poor mental and emotional health. Right we we have this suffering in our life and 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 we don't know what to do with it. And here's here, here, here's what I think, and and I, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think a lot of men, we tend to we tend to waste our suffering, because the reality is the world that we live in is a fallen, broken world. Yes, there is good, and 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 yes, there is um, signs of hope, uh, but the reality is um, suffering. And pain, trials, heartache, hardship, those things are inevitable. Like every one of us, uh, the longer we live, we are going to experience suffering. So the question is, uh, what do we do with that? How do we live in, in, in such a way that, that we almost um, transform our suffering, Right? How do we live in such a way that we that we take our suffering, we embrace our suffering, and it actually makes us to be better human beings? Like, how does our suffering become hope? And and for a lot of us, and and even Christians, like professing Christians, I think we have a bad theology of suffering. Like we don't know what to do with our suffering. We're not, we can't say like the Puritans who used to say, I love it when God throws me into the cellar of affliction because it's there that he keeps his best wine. Come on, man, drink of that. We can't say with Spurgeon who said, I've learned to, to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. We won't say with Job, though he slay me, I still trust him. I trust him. Like, like, like those men, those those spiritual giants knew what to do when, when suffering came. They, they, they knew what to do when, when trial and, and, and hardship came their way. Like, like they took that suffering and it was, it was a weapon for good. It was a weapon that, that not only transformed them, but, but in a lot of ways it gave them, it gave them hope. So I'm not going to pretend to know where you're at today. Uh, but this I do know, the storm of life is always there. There's a great story in in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4, and and Mark knew all about suffering. Uh, If you don't know much about Mark, he wasn't an original uh, apostle. He wasn't one of the 12. As a matter of fact, um, he was a boy when Jesus was a man. Most biblical scholars believe that Mark was Mary's nephew, like the the Last Supper took place in Mary's house, and Mark was probably serving the wine and the bread. We know that at some point Mark and the Apostle Paul have a falling out, but at the end of Paul's life, um, there's reconciliation. He says, bring bring John Mark. Mark actually takes the gospel to Egypt. He's one of the first uh, men to take the gospel to Egypt. When he gets to Egypt, they... They tie him to a back of a chariot. Church history teaches that they tie him to a back of a chariot and they drag him through the streets of Egypt until he almost dies. And right before he dies, uh, they nurse him back to health and then they tie him up again and drag him through the streets until he does die this time. So uh, if anybody knows about suffering and, and trials, Mark does. Mark tasted his, his fair share. And in Mark 4, we get, this, we get this amazing story. It's probably one of the more popular Bible stories. It's the story where Jesus calms the, the wind and the waves like he tells the sea to cease, be still. The disciples are, are with Jesus on this boat, and, and Jesus tells them, hey, get into the boat, and we will go to the other side. So they get into the boat, and they take off to the other side. And the Bible says that a great storm arose— that the winds were breaking against the boat like water was spilling into the boat. The disciples are terrified. They wake Jesus up and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus stands up and he tells the waves to stop. He tells the wind to be still and the disciples are amazed. They say, man, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And in that little story, man, we get get a picture of of ultimate suffering. Like, like these men are so afraid. Um, they're so scared. They, they literally think they're about to die. Like suffering is on them tenfold. And then I think we get this beautiful picture of, of what to do with our suffering. So I think the first thing we see, the first thing we learn from the story is they sailed into a storm. Like, like the storm was, was there. So I don't know where you are in life, but, but wherever you are, you're in one of three positions. You're either coming out of a storm, about to go into a storm, or you're sitting right in the middle of a storm. But the storm is always there. So like you've experienced some suffering, you've experienced trial, you've experienced loss, and you're starting to get on the other side of that. And praise be to God, <laughs> like maybe you're starting to to taste a little sunshine and, and taste a little ease and comfort and convenience. Maybe you're, you're starting to taste a little hope for the first time in a long time. Brother, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy for you. Maybe you're watching this today and, and you're about to go into a storm and you have no idea. Men, we are all one phone call, one text, one email away from a storm. From suffering. I remember in grad school, I was asked to write a paper on, on suffering, on a significant loss in my life. And I went to the professor and I said, man, I can't write this paper. She said, why not? I said, because I haven't lost anything. Like I've had a pretty easy life. <laughs> Knock on wood. Three months later, I get a, I get a phone call that my, my brother, my only sibling had, had overdosed, dead. Found him in a parking lot. Not too long after that, I have a mother diagnosed with with leukemia. I remember getting the call. Hey, son, don't worry, but I'm in the hospital. They say I have leukemia. It is crazy, crazy how everything can change so fast. Men, some of us, we are one phone call, one text message, one email away from going into a storm. And some of you men watching this today, man, maybe you're sitting right in the middle of a storm, like the wind and the waves of a broken marriage, the wind and the waves of a failing career, the wind and the waves of past hurt and past hangups, man, they're beating against the boat and you feel like you're going to die. You are sitting right in the middle of a storm, man, I get it. I've been there. If that's you, if 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 you're the guy that finds himself sitting right in the middle of the storm right now today, and here's my encouragement to you: embrace it. Like, don't fight it. Sit there. Pray, and ask God. God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment, right now, in the storm, in the loss? In the suffering, what is it that you're trying to show me? What is it that you're trying to to revealing me? What what character are you trying to and and virtue are you trying to establish in me? And and be with God, be quiet, be still, and then just remember to wake up tomorrow and do it again. When we are when we're in the middle of a storm, man, we can't take we can't take leaps and bounds. Like in the middle of the storm, the victory is not in the leaps and bounds. In the middle of the storm, the victory is just in the small little incremental steps. Sometimes sometimes the weight of the storm is so great, the victory is simply just getting out of bed the next day. Sometimes the weight of the storm is so great, the victory is is just telling your wife, I love you. Pray for me. And that doesn't mean you're losing. Like, that actually means you're taking ground. The simple fact that you're getting up and you're moving forward, no matter how small the step, man, you're winning. So my encouragement to you is is don't be afraid of the storm. Don't fight against the storm. Don't waste the storm. Be in the storm. Talk to God. Ask him what he is trying to teach you, and then get up the next day and do it again. Small, faithful steps, knowing, knowing how it ends and that God is in the boat. But for everybody watching, like, I don't care what position you're in, whether you're coming out of a storm, going into a storm or sitting in the middle of the storm. Here's the truth, brothers. The storm is always there. It's always there. So like, what do we do with that? How do we handle that? How do we take that reality that the storm is always there and somehow turn that for our good? Well, I think there are some truths like there's some biblical truths that we, that we have to hold on to so that when the storm comes our way, when we're sitting in the middle of that storm, we don't lose hope. We don't cash in like we, we make it to the other side. As a matter of fact, I think that's the first, the first promise when, when Jesus says, get into the boat and we'll go to the other side. um, He's not making a suggestion. Uh, It's not a recommendation. He's not offering you advice. Jesus says that if you're in the boat with me, we will get to the other side. That's a promise. If you're in the boat with Jesus, you're going to get to the other side. Like, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you you know how the story ends. You know how the story ends. And, and when you know how the story ends, everything changes. I heard an illustration one time about, a, about a, a young lady. She had a longtime boyfriend. Her boyfriend told her, hey, let's go to dinner tonight. They really didn't pick a time or a place, so 6 o'clock. 6:15, 630. she's kind of becoming annoyed. 6:40, she finally hears him pull up in the driveway. He kind of honks the horn. So angrily, she she goes outside, climbs into the passenger door and just kind of slams the door. Where do you want to go to eat?" He asks. She says, "Well, I don't care. Nothing could be further from the truth. He says, "Well, you want to go to Panera?" And she thinks, of course, he wants to take me to Panera, his dad's the manager. It's obvious he doesn't want to spend any money tonight. And what's romantic about bagels anyways? They go, they eat. He's kind of quiet. He's not really paying attention. He says, "Hey, you want to go, you want to go take a walk by the lake afterwards?" And she's thinking, "What a terrible night. If he would have told me that, I'd have brought a sweater. It's cold outside." And the night just kind of ends. Now go back in time, go back in time to the beginning of that date, except this time at six o'clock, her best friend calls and says, girl, you're not going to believe this. I just saw your man and he was buying a ring at the mall. Tonight is the night you get engaged. Upon hearing that, man, everything changes, right? 6 o'clock, 6.15, 6.30, 6.40, her heart is building with anticipation. She hears the, the, the horn honk, and, and she has to hold herself back from running to get into the car. So she graciously gets into the car, and he says, where do you want to go eat? And he says, well, let's go to Panera. And of course she thinks, Panera, that's where his dad works. His whole family's probably going to be there. And, and those bagels, OMG, those bagels are in the shapes of rings. So they go to sit down and, 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 and order, and, and at the thought of picking two, she realizes she's going to be picking two for the rest of her life, and with every sip of her broccoli cheddar soup, she's looking for a ring. And he says, Hey, do you want to go take a walk by the lake? And of course, she thinks, yes, the lake. That's where he's going to do it. How romantic. And they head off to the lake. Do you, see, do you see the difference in the two stories? There was only one difference. She knew how the night ended. Brother, listen, we know how the story ends. We know how it ends. When we're with Jesus in the middle of the storm, we know how it ends. Even if it ends with us losing our life, man, there is a resurrection. There is a bodily resurrection like we cannot die. We will, because he rose, we will rise. Man, it ends with a reception, like we will see Jesus face-to-face, not, not as we're looking through a glass, as Scripture says, but face-to-face, and it ends It ends with a banquet, with a wedding feast. Man, our bridegroom went to prepare us a room, an eternal room that we are going to be with him forever. We know how the story ends. When Jesus says, get into the boat and I'll take you to the other side, it's a promise, We know how it ends. We're going to get to the other side. Here's the key. He doesn't tell us how we're going to get there. I think that's where the fear comes from. That's when we begin to waste our suffering. Jesus says, I'm going to get you to the other side, but he doesn't tell us how. For most of us, we want to to cruise in on a a 120-foot yacht listening to Jay-Z. But the reality is that's probably not how most of us are getting there. If anything, we're probably going to wash ashore on a piece of driftwood, beaten and battered and bruised by the storms of life. But listen, we will get there. Like you will get through this storm. Why? Because because he said, I'll take you to the other side. You know how the story ends. So if we know how the story ends, it should affect how we respond, I think, that's the second truth from this story. Knowing how the story ends affects our response to suffering and trial. You know, when I think about when I think about my life and when I think about my my ministry, I always always think about the Book of Hebrews, right? The the Hall of Faith. It talks about some, you know, shut the mouths of lions, and some uh, receive back their dead, and some put foreign armies to flight. Some were given the desires of their hearts. Like it talks about these great spiritual and material and physical victories. And when I think about my life and I think about my ministry and my marriage and whatever it is, man, I want to be the guy shutting the mouths of lions. I want to be the guy putting foreign armies to flight. I want to be the guy that's getting the desires of my heart. But it's interesting. There's a whole nother half to that verse. It says, some were called to be sawn in two, put to death, made fun of and mocked that they wandered around in sheepskins, destitute, without a home, awaiting a better resurrection. Like, like the author of Hebrews shows these two paths, right? Shutting the mouths of lions and wandering in the desert destitute. And here's the deal, brother. You don't get to pick. You don't get to pick what path you're on. I don't get to wake up and pick every morning to shut the mouths of lions. I remember, I remember years ago, um, we found out we were pregnant with our first child and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't wait to find out the sex of the child. Um, I'm kind of a man's man. So so I was texting all my guys that I wanted a little boy, right? You hear the heartbeat, the heartbeat's strong. I'm like, my son's just in there doing CrossFit in my wife's uterus, man, just getting it, right? And I was, I was, I was playing that 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 I wanted this little boy so bad, but deep in the recesses of my heart, man, I wanted a little girl. So you go to that, you go to that, that appointment where where the doctor has like that magic Harry Potter wand and like you see the baby on the screen and and, and you're, you're figuring out the sex of the child. True story. I'm watching this screen, and I jump up, and I said, Doc, there it is. It's a boy. And the doctor looked at me and said, Mr. Harper, sit down. That's its arm. I said, little excited. The doctor flipped the baby over again and, and said, Actually, it's a little girl. Oh, how overcome I was with joy and Thanksgiving. You know, what was interesting is my mom. So my mom's my best friend in the whole world. Um, She's loved me like no one could ever love me. Uh, Every day, every day, even through college, my mom took me to school on the first day of school. Think about that. I'm a grown man in college. My mom's walking me on campus. The one thing my mom wanted more than anything else in this world was a grandchild. So it's interesting. Um, one day I'm finding out that I'm having a little girl, and the next day I'm getting a phone call from a hospital that my mom's dying of leukemia. And God in his sovereignty, man, the hospitals were near one another. So fast forward nine months. My, um, my daughter is born. I get to take my daughter to my mom in the hospital, and my mom gets to hold her first and only grandchild for 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Greatest joy of her life. And then a few days later, my mom dies of cancer. I mean, one minute I'm shutting the mouths of lions, and the next minute it is feeling like someone is ripping my heart from my chest. Brothers, we don't get to pick. You're not going to get to pick the path. But what you do get to decide is how you will respond. Like how you will approach and view that suffering. How you will respond when when suffering and heartache and trial comes knocking at your door. Can you look at it and say, do your worst to me because I know how the story ends. I know how it ends. Do whatever you have to do to me so that you can transform me and make me more like Christ. What did Jesus say? He said, take heart, you will suffer. You will have trouble in this world, but I have overcome the world. Peter tells us that if we are going to walk as he walked, we will suffer as he suffered. As a matter of fact, that our suffering produces in us a steadfastness, and that steadfastness is what makes us complete and perfect. Man, it is the suffering that makes us into who we are, not the victories. I'm always afraid of the guy that that runs around talking about all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Like, bro, no, you don't. That's fake. That's false. If all you do, I'm, be weary of the guy that's always winning. No, no, give me the guy that's taking L's and let me watch how he responds to the L's. Man, that's the hero. That's the MVP. What do you do with that suffering? How, how will you respond? And when you, when you know how the story ends, man, you can count it all joy, as Paul says, brothers, when you face various trials of all kinds. Not if you face them, when you face them. Why? Because the storm is there. Eventually, you're going to face suffering, and you can count it joy when that happens. Why? Because you know how the story ends. But more importantly and lastly, you can count it joy because because you know who's in the boat. Man, God is in the boat. Literally, God incarnate, Jesus Christ is in the boat. I was at a... um, I was at a college. It's called the Graduate Institute of Applied Linguistics. It's the worst name for a college ever. But it's where all the all the linguistics translators in the world, it's like, it's like where they come to get advanced degrees. Like all the Bible translators, like I mean, these people are wicked smart, way smarter than me. They asked me to come in and and preach chapel at this college. And and as a communicator, as a preacher, like my greatest fear isn't, isn't preaching at a church. It's actually preaching to other preachers, right? It's like that peer to peer thing, but then more so like preaching and teaching in front of guys that not just know the Bible, but like know it in the original Hebrew and Greek and then translated in a hundred different languages, wicked smart. So I'm there and I'm actually preaching this passage and I'm trying to get off stage at the end of the message. And my worst fear was realized here come this 70 year old Greek scholar, and he was like, young man, that was, that was good work. He said, but, and anytime somebody tells you, young man, that was good work, but you know something bad's coming. He said, but this whole passage hinges on one word, and it's the word we. When the disciples look at Jesus and say, don't you care that we are going to die? We in the English language is interesting. Sometimes we can mean that you and I went to dinner, or sometimes it can mean um, 30 of us went to dinner. We went to dinner. So they don't really know how to translate that in other languages. So he said, do you think when they said we, did they mean we, 12 disciples, or did they mean we, 13, the 12 plus Jesus? And I said, well, well I don't know. What do you think? And he said, well, I don't know either. That's why I'm asking you. And I said, well, I think they meant we, 13. He said, "Why do you why do you think that? I said, because Jesus gets up and he calms the wind and he calms the waves. And they say, who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? I don't think they knew that he was God. Not yet. So they thought he was going to die too. Brother, listen to me. It's God in the boat. Like he can't die. And if you're with him, neither can you. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're coming out of a storm. Praise be to God, man. I hope you taste the sunshine, man. I hope you sit in it and you drink that in. Thank God he's faithful to bring you out of a storm. For some of you, you're coming into the holidays and you're about to go into the storm. You're about to lose your job. You're about to discover an illness. Somebody's going to break your heart. I don't know what it is but you're about to go into the storm you need to hear me say man take heart be of good cheer count it joy and not a superficial fake joy like oh everything's okay no it's not but like a deep peace that surpasses all understanding why because you know how the story ends Jesus is in the boat you know how the story ends And for the brother watching and listening right now that is sitting in the middle of the storm, your career is in ruins, your marriage is in ruins, your children won't talk to you, you feel lonely and isolated, you can't handle the weight of your guilt, your grief, your shame, you need to hear me say, Jesus is in the boat. He promises to get you to the other side lean into him not away from him lean into him he's for you he's with you and he's going to take you to the other side